I was praying as I was approaching this meeting that the Lord might help me in, in no way to do any damage to the church. That He would be with me. And I don't care how many times you preached previously, I don't care how many meetings you've been in, when you come to another meeting or another service, it's all new ground. It's all new territory. And we need as much the fresh help of God, the fresh visitations of the Spirit, fresh unction of the Lord, or it's all to naught, all in vain. And I praise the Lord for the help that you've been to us in prayer. I know you've been praying for us. And we have felt the help of God. I'm thankful. It's been a real blessing again to be with you in your church. I'm praying that God will speak to us this morning. I'm speaking on a subject may some of you no doubt have heard me speak on previously. In prayer early this morning, God pressed this upon my heart. I had intended to preach this particular message here, but it was pressed upon my mind again, and I couldn't get away from it. And so I've asked the Lord to help us. And I want to speak to you on this particular subject, and I hope that it is an encouragement to you to lift your faith, to cause you again to be absorbed with the greatness, the largeness, the ability, the willingness of God to help you. For God to change something in your life that needs changing. For God to deal with a situation that you're having to face that is hard, difficult, trying, vexing. Why is it that God's people, I, I see them all over the country, they, God's people seemingly at this point Time. Many of them are pressed to the limits. And it's very easy when you've got a dilemma or a situation in your life that you're handling or that you're confronted with that you just don't know how to handle. And you, it's, it's very easy to become discouraged. But we can be encouraged, and it is our duty as Christians to encourage one another in the Lord. We don't hardly ever hear anyone in testimony time stand up and say, please pray for me, I've got too much encouragement. No. We're all very weak and vacillating folks, and we are very tried by circumstances. I want to read this particular miracle. Everything that is recorded in the scripture as far as admonition, this particular miracle, an amazing miracle, the Lord casting out a particular demon out of this young man. This demon did not go easy. 
the situation was not just hastily resolved, even with the apostles, even with Christ himself being present. It took divine wisdom, power, and his ability. And rest assured of this, there's not anything that you're facing or confronting. There's not anything that you're dealing with that is hopeless. God is alive. God can work. God can change. In fact, you yourself are, who are Christians, where would you be if God hadn't worked, if God hadn't listened to prayer? If God hadn't acted in the 20th century, we'd been lost and hopeless. I want to read this. Turn with me. I want to read it from the two perspectives given. Mark's chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. Mark's gospel, chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. They knew who he was. He had already developed quite a reputation. They knew him to be the miracle worker. And many people were anxious even just to get a glimpse of him. In verse 16, now keep in mind, he comes to this conference that the scribes and the Pharisees are having with his, his own disciples. And verse 16 says, Then he asked the scribes, What? Question ye with them. What are you questioning them? Thanks be to God that He does come to our assistance when we don't have the answers. Sometimes we don't know what to say, we don't have the answer. But our Lord does. You know, I've learned a long time ago, there's a lot of things I don't know. And it's far better if you're asked a question, if you don't know the answer, to say, I just don't know, and be honest, than try to give some kind of pious, theological backwash concerning what you feel might be the answer. You don't know, you don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. But it's not what I know, it's whom I know. We know the Lord. And so the Lord came and the Lord took over. When there were questions that couldn't be answered, the Lord took over. And when the multitude 
answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now, there's no question that this desperate father, and how did you like to have a child like this? Now, here, medically speaking, here is a man who has a little boy. In fact, he's grown up to be quite a big boy at this time, who is deaf and dumb and has what we would call epileptic seizures and is absolutely in the most wretched and pitiful state. And the Bible declares, in this case, it was a dumb demon that was responsible. It was a devil that was responsible for this malady, this problem in the young boy's life. How'd you like to have a burden like that? How'd you like to have a child like that? And so this father is desperate. And he describes his son to the Lord. And he describes in verse 18, the last part, I spoke unto thy disciples that they should cast him out. This man needs help. This man needs a deliverance. He needs a deliverance for himself as much as he does for his son. For when you have something in your family that's not right, it's as much a burden on your mind, it is much a vexation on your spirit, it is much a care that weights you down as anything that could be suffered in the child. There are two people suffering. There's the child that is suffering, and who is responsible? The devil, the demons. Oh, the wretched misery that has been caused in this world, the suffering inflicted on humanity, the pain, the disease, the illnesses, the psychological problems, all manner of diseases, all manner of afflictions in the human family because of sin and Satan. Oh, what Adam did to us. And oh, what we have done unto ourselves. The madness, the folly, the horror, the pain, the suffering. Why is it in the world? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much heartache? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much grief? Why is it the root of all these problems lies in sin. But thanks be to God, the cure for all these problems lies in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Aren't you looking forward to the day in which we're going to a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, where there'll be no more pain, no, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death? Well, he wanted deliverance he wanted help. He spoke to the disciples, and they, 
he wanted them to cast out the demon. He had heard, in fact, they had been already on a missionary tour. You'll turn back in chapter 6, verse 7 of Mark. They had already been preaching and casting out demons. The apostles had in Mark's Gospel chapter 6, verse 7, the scripture says, He called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. And so the disciples had already gained this reputation. This is no doubt what brought this man to the disciples, were he had heard that other people with chronic bad situations and bad demon problems had found deliverance, and the disciples had worked this marvelous deliverance. But now here, he spoke to them, he presented his situation, he needed help, but they, the scripture says, could not. And notice Jesus' response to this. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me unto me. Notice, suffering by our Lord due to the unbelief of his people. This comment is not directed to the unbelieving world in general, certainly they're included, but this comment, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you, how long shall I suffer you, is a direct reprimand and reproof for the unbelief that is in his very apostles. Isn't it a sad reality that we who are believers don't always believe. We who have trusted the Lord don't always trust Him. We who know God is able do not always behave and have heart faith and total confidence in His ability but prove in many respects to be no better in faith than the unbelieving masses around us. But I thank God even when we don't believe, he bides faithful. Aren't you glad the Lord bears up with your unbelief? If you had to have perfect faith to get into heaven, you'd already have gone back down and been lost. But the Lord reprimands his disciples. And he says in verse 19, Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, he straightway, the straightway, or immediately, the spirit tore him. And he fell on the ground, wallowing, foamy. I can't think of a more pitiful and miserable sight than seeing such a lad in this condition. I mean, foaming out of his mouth, getting dirt in his mouth walling around the ground like a madman. Totally helpless, totally under the control of this demonic spirit. And as he's there laying on the ground, wallowing and foaming. Now, it is interesting here. You would think Jesus would jump in, in here immediately and solve this situation immediately. But he wouldn't let this wallowing and foaming go on one second more. But you know what he does? He starts talking to the Father. Why? Because he's dealing with the Father. Time will come and he'll deal with the Son, but right now he needs to deal with the Father. And he asked his Father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? 
Now this, no, no doubt, was to be a memory jog, and it was not just for receiving information. Does not the Lord know everything? Certainly does. He knew this child. He knew the situation with the child. He knew how long this problem had been in this family. But he's searching the heart of the man. It is causing him to look back. He's causing him to remember. He's causing him to relive the many years of agony and suffering that he has been through. How long has it been like this? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And that's the ultimate aim and objective of every demon and, and the devil himself. He is a liar. He is a murderer. And he whispers and he drives people whom he possesses ultimately to self-destruction. My son's been working in a group home over in Conway and he tells me about these particular ones who, who have problems with demons and they're always hearing voices in their heads. Well, this one particular man always hears these voices that tells him to kill himself. The devil is a killer. He not only wishes to work upon humanity, all manner of physical and spiritual ills, he desires to destroy the soul forever. He's a destroyer. And this man notice and says, and Jesus is bringing this out. Here this man says, oftentimes it is cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him, but if thou can do anything, have compassion on us. Notice the plurality. Have compassion on not him, us, and help us. We need help. I need help. My son needs help. Help us! If you can do anything. Now, where do you get this impression if the Lord could do anything? Where do you get that misnomer? And by the way, that's, that's a wrong approach with the Lord if he can do anything. What do you mean if I can do anything? Where do you get this notion? We got it from the bad representation and the faithlessness of his disciples. You represent Jesus, my Christian friend, to the people around you. People are learning about God through you. Mm -hmm. Your life is the only Bible that some people are reading. What are you projecting about God? What are you projecting? And so, due to the pitiful, miserable failure of the disciples in this situation to evict the demon, he had come to the conclusion, maybe the Lord can't do anything either, really. But he said, if you can, do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. The Lord didn't say now here, if I can, he turned the coin around and said, if you can. The problem's not with me. The problem's with you. The need is not in me. 
The deficiency is not in me. The willingness is not lacking in me. There's no shortage in me. But the shortage is in you. The need is in you, if you can believe. That's amazing, isn't it? You mean he lays upon this man the responsibility of faith and believing? Certainly does. And he, verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears. Now this man is heartbroken. This man is desperate. This man is at the end of the rope. This man has gone the last mile. He's crying out and said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. What a statement. What honesty. He does believe, but he's got a lot of doubts, too. Isn't this a problem with us when we got things that we need to deal with? We need to see the Lord work. We believe, we know, but yet we don't know. And we struggle hard with doubts and fears. And so he prays, Lord, help thou my unbelief. And by the way, he's the only one that can help it. And he will help it if you'll be honest about it. Cast it upon him. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So he's honest with the Lord. He said, Lord, I believe. He doesn't say, Lord, I have absolute, total, unwavering faith. Not at all. He cast upon the Lord his both faith and his unbelief. And the scripture says, verse 25, When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. What a eviction. What a deliverance. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him. You see, Jesus here is the Lord over unclean spirits. He's the Lord over all flesh. He's the Lord over all principalities. All power in heaven and earth is his. There's nothing that stumps him. There's nothing that puzzles him. There's nothing that he's not able to do, not anything. And he can chain and deliver, cast out, expel the demon at the very word of his power. Think about that. Just speaking the very words and causing something so miraculous as the binding and the expelling of this demon. And the scripture says, verse 26, And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead insomuch as many said he is dead, but Jesus took him and lifted, took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Now that was really a theological problem to them because they had did it before. Why couldn't they do it now? And Jesus says in verse 29 unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And what he's saying here is, is this, this kind, this kind that you've just seen, this particular case, you've had other cases, you've dealt with them successfully, but this kind requires more prayer. You haven't been praying enough. This kind requires even more than prayer. It requires you getting so serious you're going to do without a little food. And you're going to fast over it. Hmm. This kind. 
I was reading this story from Matthew again because it adds some interesting and important details. Matthew 17, beginning of verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man. And by the way, Jesus is just coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration when this event occurs. There came unto him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic. It means he's crazy and got his sense. And sore vexed. Sore vexed. He got problems. He's got deep, serious, complex problems. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. Isn't it interesting? Here he had called the father of the son to believe and said if you believe they don't even my disciples they don't have to believe but you believe you'll get what you need through faith and he says here concerning the disciples because of your unbelief your impotence in handling this matter your fruitlessness in this situation your despair and failure was totally because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, now listen to this, what a magnificent promise. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How big a promise is that? How broad? How strong? How wide? How deep? Magnificent, isn't it? Then in verse 21, how be it? This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. From this little story, it is obvious that our Lord teaches us something that we've all come to learn. In fact, you don't live very long in this world without finding that as a Christian, you come across there are problems, and then there are problems. There's troubles, and then there are troubles. There's degrees of problems, is there not? There's degrees of grief. There's degrees of situations that are bad. Some situations are bad with people, but some situations are worse. In fact, there are situations that it's almost as bad as it could get. And that's what you have our Lord dealing with in this particular situation. You have a situation with a son here that's just as bad as it possibly can get. Without him being in hell, destroyed forever, with no hope, this side of the grave, this side of eternity, here is a situation that is just about as bad as you could possibly face. 
It was an unusually hard situation, extreme suffering. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ identifies the particular root of this problem as not being ordinary. It is something out of the ordinary. It is something that goes beyond the normal. For when he says this kind, he repeated it in both passages, it's found to us. How be it this kind, and it's reference to the kind of demon, the kind of spirit that was working in this particular situation was particularly obnoxious, particularly strong, particularly vile, particularly difficult to deal with. You see, these disciples were experienced veterans of spiritual warfare, but they had been accustomed to seeing other success in demonic cases, but not in this particular one. This kind. They were absolutely up against the wall. They just didn't know how to handle it, just didn't know what to do. Mark 9, 28, their question reveals their perplexity over the pitiful, repeated, unsuccessful attempts at effecting deliverance. They no doubt tried over and over and over to get this thing out, but they weren't able to do it. Now, Jesus himself identifies this demon as a particularly hard one to get out. Now, my point is this in saying all this. Folks, there are some situations that we are dealing with in life that are just beyond normal. They're bad, but they're extremely bad. They're puzzling. Oh, they're more than puzzling. They're absolutely bewildering. What are we going to do? Jesus says, only with the strongest and strictest devotion, sacrifice, and dependence upon him can a successful conclusion come to this particular situation, this kind. How be it this kind? You know, the Bible teaches that there is a hierarchy of evil that is in work in the world, and it is amazing. I don't understand this fully, but I do know this. Some demons are nastier than others. Some demons are fouler, viler, more wretched, do more pitiful damage to the life in whom they are. There are, relatively speaking, respectable demons that have, have their course of actions in respectable businessmen that are not wallowing on the ground foaming but dress in business suits but have and are controlled by the love of mammon. Now certainly that's an evil demon. It's a bad demon. In fact, again, all demons are bad. All sin problems are bad. But again, there are situations, there are cases in which the problem is extreme. And this is what we're dealing with here. Extraordinarily malicious was this demon. In fact, it is interesting that this demon, upon the young man, Christ looking upon this young man, the demon threw this child down right in the presence of Christ, right there in the presence of divine omnipotence, as though the devil was saying, look here what I can do. What can you do about this? very difficult. So there are some cases that we deal with. 
that we face in life that are just not ordinary problems. There are cases that nothing that you seem to say, nothing that you seem even to do changes it for the better. And the situation is so utterly desperate. Hard case. Now, you see our Lord in this passage, it is so evident that the Lord is not just interested in dealing with the child, for he left the child for a while there wallowing on the ground foaming. But the Lord is dealing with the daddy. And that's an interesting truth. You know, in every hard situation or case that comes your way, the Lord has purposes in all things. There are actually two cases here. And the focus in this passage is just as much on the tired, bewildered, vexed father as it is the demon-possessed son. Isn't it so? The daddy here was being dealt with by the Lord, being taught by the Lord, being instructed by the Lord, being trained by the Lord in this situation. Do you believe that all things, now that's hard to comprehend at times, but do you believe really that all things work together for the good to them that love God? Then if you love God, why is it that people that love God and they're true in their hearts, they're, they're very focused in their direction, they're committed Christians, why is it that they are often served horrible situations to deal with? Why is it? You know any families like that? Why they're all over the place? Why is it? You see, in all things, it's not just the situation with them that the Lord is dealing with, it's the situation with you. Your case, your situation, your problem, whatever kind it is, is having some sort of impact upon your life. It's doing something to you. You know, I wonder, if, we, if, we, if we've come to a place that we've got something that we've got to deal with, here it is. This guy's got a problem. I mean, he's got a son that needs help. Here's a son that is in chronic, desperate, the most lost, wretched, demon-possession case you could ever imagine. What's he going to do with it? How's he going to deal with it? In the situation that we sometimes are faced with, how are we dealing with a problem that we've been dealt with? It's a good case. Good answer. Good question. How are you dealing with it? Are you ignoring it? The problem don't go away with ignoring it. Are you making excuses for it? Don't go away. No. I have met people that have, it seems to me, determined, are determined not to let themselves be too much bothered by having a lost son, a lost daughter, that they have almost, it's like that 
They've tried to witness to them. They've tried to tell them what's right. And they've seen no immediate response or no quick response. And therefore, they have kind of withdrawn into a shell as though whatever will be, will be in this situation. But I'm just going to kind of, I've got to get away from the problem. I've got to not really think about this thing. I've just got to kind of get in the background and let whatever will be, will be in this matter take place. Problem don't go away. Problem's not solved by that approach. Did I ever tell you about being in a meeting one time? I was, I wanted to say where, but I was in this particular conference, and there was these men that had met for a prayer meeting before the service. And these men, particular ones of them, were very burdened, and they were sharing their concerns about their lost sons or lost daughters. And as they began to share their burden, you could tell the very empathy and sympathy of their heart. They had compassion. They were really burdened. And, and they said, brethren, I need you to pray for my son. He's, he's on drugs. He's got, a, he's got a, a problem. He's left home. His life is in a wreck. And then this other brother opened up and said, man, I've got a son that's out in left field. And I tell you, he's not, uh, I've not been able to to handle him, and I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. Please, I've got to get on. We need to get on. God, pray with me on this situation. And so there were several people that shared the burdens with their sons and their daughters, and therefore then the prayer meeting began. And I heard these men, and I said, man, this is wonderful. They were praying with such fervency, praying with such devotion, praying with such energies, praying with such concern. And the Bible says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and they were praying fervently, and that was good. They had a burden as though it was like God could do something, and they were desperate for God to do something until this one particular brother prayed. And he prayed something like this. This one man, man said, Lord, help us to accept the fact that we may be given an Esau in our lives, and there is nothing that we can do about it. My friend, it would like you had took a bucket of water and poured on that prayer meeting. The fervency, the urgency, the heartbreak was like it was all gone. Because this word said, there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that we should do about it. My, my point is this, folks. When we're dealing with a problem, when we're under a suffering, the degree of our burden and grief and sorrow that we're experiencing in that issue may very well be an indication of the outcome in that particular situation. If we can face a problem of life, a situation that needs the divine help of God, and we can approach it callously, coldly, indifferently, we're divorced from it, we're not letting it bother us, we're not letting it impact us, we're not letting us get under our skin, we're not letting it disturb us and burden us to the point that we've got to have God change it. And that may be a very indication that we're not going to see any change. God forbid that you should be indifferent in your spirit about your perishing children. God forbid that we should be lackadaisical and 
excuse our indifference and lack of burden on the sovereignty of God. My dear friends, again, in every situation that we dealt, deal with, it's hard and difficult. God himself may be dealing with us, putting his finger on our heart. But you notice the Father here, how honestly and openly he cries out and confesses his son's condition. It's like in back in Mark 9, 21, when the Lord asked the Father how long ago since this came unto him. It's like the Lord was saying, you mean you, this is your child? How long have you been like this? Now, he didn't say, well, he had, Lord, it's not really not that serious. No, he said, Lord, this has happened to him since he's been a little child. And furthermore, it's cast him, this demon has cast him often into the fire and often into the waters to destroy him. He's honest. He's open. He confesses. You know, I can remember the time that I had a son, not just one son, I had two sons that were far off in sin. And it was really, when you've been a preacher, and you've been to Bible conferences, and you're known around by the brethren, and you see other parents with good children, and you've got these children that are in sin, you've got these children that are having complex problems, you know, there's, there's, there's a tendency in us because of our pride to be embarrassed. We're just ashamed, we're just embarrassed that it's this way. It's kind of something like we'd like to sweep under the rug, and, 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 and we don't want anybody to know about it. Oh, my friend. Listen, the best thing in the world that we can do is to confess our needs with our brothers and sisters. Share our burdens. Share our concerns with our, our children, our loved ones. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I tell you, my friend, it's a wretched state of hypocrisy if anyone, because of any other brother's burdens or sorrows or problems in their family, feels that, oh, they've done something wrong to bring this about. Oh, my dear friends, notice again the honesty, the honesty of confession. Christ brought out the honest confession of this man. This is my son. Yes, he's like this. I've got a son that's an alcoholic. I've got a son that's a drug addict. I've got a daughter that's a prostitute. I've got a child that is deep, deep, deep in sin. I enlist you, Lord. I enlist the people of God to have compassion with me and pray with me that God may work a deliverance. Here's another truth. In hard situations, there is usually prolonged, before the Lord acts, there is prolonged disappointment. We'd like for the Lord to already have acted, wouldn't we? We'd like the Lord already to do something. But it's not unusual when you're dealing with something it's hard to experience prolonged letdowns and increased heartache 
over the situation. You find that. Hear this in 18, chapter 9, verse. In fact, the whole story indicates that this man came. Do not you suppose after he had got word that these disciples, these apostles of Jesus could heal this malady of demon possession? He comes now. He comes to the disciples. His hope is high. He's ready for work. He's looking for deliverance right then. And guess what? It doesn't come. It doesn't come. They try to do effective deliverance. It doesn't come. Do you see, no doubt, his hopes sinking? Do you see his discouragement growing? Do you see his bewilderment? Settling in upon his mind, what's happening here? Why? I heard this Jesus of Nazareth and his disciples could do things. I heard that he has power to raise the dead and to deliver from the most serious effects of sin. And the Lord's not helping me. The Lord's not doing anything. What's going on here? Have you ever been there? I've been there, folks. I've been there from the prayers and the and the Bible reading and the enlist, even enlisting the saints to pray, and yet it doesn't seem to be getting any better. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. Isn't this what happened? Instead of the situation seeming to get better, right there in the company of the twelve apostles and in the company of Jesus Christ, it gets worse. That's an amazing thing in it. How could it be? But that's the put in the scriptures to teach us folks it doesn't get better sometimes immediately it's not changed overnight there may be it may be necessary for you to experience the dilemma of needing help needing a work needing deliverance, needing a miracle. And God says, I'm going to put you on the back burner for now. That's hard to do, isn't it? Wait. You know, we like everything like that. But you know, wait. To wait. To wait. There's... Great purposes being worked out in your life when God causes you to wait for his deliverance. Great and mighty things are being done which you know not. God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. We like deliverance now. We've tried, have, you, have you tried praying about something? There's no change. You've tried talking to the situation, talking to the individual, the son or the daughter. It doesn't work. You preach to them, it doesn't work. You've tried threatening, it doesn't work. You've tried psychology, it only seems... If I could only get him under the side of that, and I hear a sermon, I go and hear a message. Oh, if my son had only heard that sermon. That work. No, we learn, we need to learn that the arm of flesh is the arm of flesh. And the best of your Christian friends and the most ardent of the ministers of Christ will not 
be the ones to work a deliverance in your situation. They can't do it. You have to wait. The impotency of Christ's own disciples in healing this son. They say, well, I thought my church has let me down. That's what this man, the church, the apostles' church, the apostolic church has let me down. They didn't heal my son. Let me give you this encouraging word. Folks, when in the midst of a trial that you're dealing with a burden that has been laid upon you, a situation that requires the almighty hand of God, God requires of you to wait. And it may be that the situation doesn't get better immediately. It even deteriorates. It even gets worse. But don't you ever, if you want to see a good resolve in that situation, do never give up hope in your heart that things are going to change. Don't give up hope. That's what you need most. That's what the Lord loves the most to see in our lives is hope and trust. If you can continue to hope in your bad situation, things looked the worse when the child was close to being delivered. Very bad. But Jesus was at hand. It's often been said, the darkest hour is right before the break of day. What do you have when you give up hope? Some of you have got situations that you've been dealing with. You've had hope. You've had faith for a while and it's becoming dark. There's been no answer. What are you going to do if you give up hope? Are you going to say, Lord, all of my hope, all of my faith, all of my prayers were ineffectual. They were no good. They were worthless. They were useless. Didn't amount to anything. Hope doesn't help anything. No. Hope gets the heart of God. Hope reaches to the very bowels of Jesus Christ, when Christ looks in your heart and sees hope and faith in him, it pleases him. Don't give up hope in a bad situation. Don't give up hope and say, we're going to relinquish this situation and concede this child to hell and the devil. The Lord can help in those situations, but he can't help in mine. This young man could be saved and delivered by the Lord, but not mine. There was hope for him. What do you think the Lord does? Is the Lord teasing us? Is the Lord tantalizing us and saying, Look, I can bless their family, but not yours. No, he's set these things to encourage us to believe all things are possible to them that believe. The Lord honors faith. The Lord loves faith. The Lord challenges you to believe Him and to hope and never let go of hope. Never let go of hope. I heard of a lady 
who had hoped for her son, her wayward son, to be saved, and she had hoped and prayed and trusted God and said, Lord, I know you can. I know you can. I trust that you will save my son. And she went to her grave in hope, not seeing her son change. But it wasn't a year later that the Almighty God touched that Derelict of a child and brought him into the fold and changed him and saved him. You know, I can't help but believe that when that woman got into glory, when she died, went in the presence of the Lord, she said, Lord, I'm still trusting you to save my son. I'm still trusting you. Hope, hope, trust. It's a powerful thing with God. It moves mountains. It raises the dead. It casts out demons. It brings victory, hope in the Almighty God. Let me say this as I close. When the disciples ask, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus again didn't say, well, it's because of the predestined purposes of God and that the sovereignty of God is really at work here and that's really why you couldn't cast him out. How many use the sovereignty of God to excuse unbelief? I've even heard people use the sovereignty of God to excuse their sins. Won't work with God. He puts the ball in our courts and says, you can have what you want if you'll just believe. Nothing shall be impossible. That's pretty big, isn't it? Pretty broad. Pretty strong promise. Pretty all-conclusive. Whatsoever you shall ask for believing, you shall receive. I'm here to encourage you. This situation found a good ending. The Lord granted the deliverance. The Lord set the captive free. There was a difficult time getting there. Wasn't automatic, wasn't... Wasn't immediate, but the Lord did work, and He sets it before us. Trust me. The last chapter's not written yet. The end has not come yet. Trust me. They that wait on the Lord see good things. Amen. God bless you, saints. God bless you. God bless you as you continue your pilgrimage in this world. God bless you, Charles and Dick, as you continue to lay before the Lord here. May we all be given the wonderful joy one day of being around the throne and seeing these heart cases that we were dealing with back in this world.
solved and them with us safe in the bosom of Jesus, praising God from whom all blessings flow.